KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. And good morning, good Saturday, we're off and running. Whoa, it's a hot one today. Yeah, well, home improvement, two hours, all you, everything you want on phone calls. I have 10 phone lines open just for home improvement questions, anything you want to talk about. 314-436-7900-314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Well, we are in June. We are in the hot part of the summer, and it's going to get warmer as we go forward. Humidity beginning to rise. Everything getting pretty happy and green around out there. And Mike Miller's been a busy guy this morning on the KMOX Garden Hotline. Thanks to Mike, uh, makes uh, my house and my yard, my life ever that prettier. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. With the heat, air conditioning, with air conditioning, higher utility bills, with higher utility bills, discussions about replacing air conditioning systems, furnaces, all that sort of thing. So I'm going to get a little bit into air conditioners, uh, heat, uh, all the various plants uh, or the you know units that will be uh, discussed and offered to you perhaps when you face replacing your equipment. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of features that go along with it. It's like buying a car. You know, you can get a car to get you from A to B. You can get a car to get you from A to B with some comfort. You get the car that gets you from A to B with style and all kinds of uh, luxuries and, and bells and whistles. And the prices are commensurate with exactly that. Uh, we can talk about that, but I really want you to beware the pollen because for those of you with allergies, you know, those of you with allergies, suffering, um, you know, problems you know what's going on out there you know that stuff that's in the air the rest of us may not see it may not notice it. a little sniffly nose you know eh, i guess a little bit well change that furnace filter keep things clear it's been a pretty uh, wet and happy growing season so make sure that outdoor air conditioning condenser you know the thing outside your house that is the condenser that takes the um, expanded gas uh, from your air conditioner if you remember the aerosol can remember the air you know the old deodorant or any kind of aerosol can you use now that compressed gas when you press that and spray the stuff out whether it's bug killer or whatever that can gets cold that's what happens inside your house, inside your air conditioner, in what's called that A-coil. They compress a gas at the condenser outside, comes in those little tiny lines, you know, and it's pretty hot, gets inside that A-coil and expands. They put it through a valve, and it goes from high pressure to low pressure. When that happens, a byproduct is the cold. Uh, then that gas gets pumped back outside. All you... All you wanted to know never knew. But anyway, it goes back outside to the condenser. The condenser then condenses it, compresses it. It has a pump compressor, takes that gas, pumps it down, makes it real tight, high pressure. And if you remember, pressure blowing up a basketball, blowing up a soccer, volleyball, whatever it is, as you raise the temp, the pressure, you raise the temperature. So now this thing outside has made a whole bunch of heat. Well, we don't want the heat in the summer. We want the cold stuff. So we blow air past it, trying to dissipate, get rid of that high 
temperature stuff around that little skinny line, and that's what all those fins are on that condenser unit outside. It's really just a compressor making heat, blow the heat out on the outside, cools down that uh, high temperature or high pressure line back inside. We do it all over again. The key for you and me, make sure a lot of air moves past those fins. Be careful if you're cleaning those fins, use a long bristle brush, wear gloves. Those rascals are like little razor blades, so be very careful when you're cleaning that. But it is really, really important to do that. If you're going to get at it and give it a bath, scrub it down, soap and water like you might a car, then I want you to go inside and shut off that breaker or pull that uh, fuse out that says AC on it. Make sure you turn that off before you hit it with a hose. You don't need to hit it with a hose too much. Just give it a little bath, scrub it down. It's the fins that matter. Keep the debris away and make sure you cut back any kind of uh, bushes, landscaping, any kind of uh, greenery that might limit it. What you're looking for is two feet around that unit all the way. That's 24 inches, two feet, so it gets a good inhale through the sides, usually blows out through the top. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. I'm part of Mosby Building Arts. We're in our 70-plus year. I've been on KMOX here for 20-plus years. Uh, I know a lot of stuff about a lot of things, but not a whole lot about anything. So, you know, I'm a great generalist. Uh, that's my role in my career is uh, in my, my curiosity curiosity carries me there. I can get pretty specific in various topics, but for the most part, I have to depend on specialists. So I'm kind of like, you know, your general practitioner, physician. You know, I know about a lot. I'm a pretty good diagnostician, but, you know, you really get down to it. I'm going to need some help with uh, somebody who's really a wizard in that area. That is kind of the whole business model for Mosby Building Arts, our business. We've got a few generalists and we've got specialists. So we have licensed architects, uh, certified kitchen designers, certified bath designers, aging in place specialists, um, all sorts of stuff in the design front end. We are at our very essence a construction company. So we're carpenters and painters and drywallers and plumbers and electricians. We're vertically integrated, which means we have all those guys on staff. These are employees and we kept pretty much all of them all the way through this COVID downturn thing. And we've been very busy and blessed with a lot of trust from our customers and our clients over the years. So thank you very much. Uh, our employees are very, very happy about that. Uh, we're, we're just pleased to be, you know, keep going. You know, it's a little bit different with the booties and the masks and the social distancing. And we drive ourselves to each job site. We don't share vehicles quite as much as we used to. Uh, so anyway, the point being for, for you, what's in it for you? I've got a whole bunch of people to keep me sharp. And when I step in a bucket, I get a pretty quick text saying, hey, Scott, do this. You forgot that. Here's the website. So, frankly, you've got quite a few people here on this microphone, uh, more than me, answering. And, of course, when I don't know, most of the time, University of KMOX, somebody in the classroom, you, the listeners, know the answer. And we share that here. So please call in 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. We're into uh, fountain time. We're into swimming pool time. It's concrete time. It's clean and seal the driveway, patio, the wood deck, all the things that make our home relaxing, maintained, ready to go. And if, like me, you are out there busy, 
your house may have not ever looked this good for a long time because of the amount of time I spent around the house. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. My producer this hour is Alex Muskoff, and he keeps my uh, wheels in the center of the lane. Sometimes I get a little wide right, wide left, and I wind up in the ditch. But Alex, is get, he's a very good guy. So give him a call. He will speak to you first, uh, talk about your topic and uh, what issue you want to discuss here on KMOX. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. This is KMOX, and all of us here at the University of KMOX are at your service right now. Welcome back to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, hour one, home improvement. Scott Mosby wound up locked in a studio, all kinds of things. It's a beautiful day, nice and comfy here. Uh, maybe a little warm and humid where you be, but uh, we'll see about that. Uh, 314-436-7900, phone lines for you, wide open, 800-925-1120. And now is the time we're going to start getting outside on those decks. Uh, we've got a blog, an article written in callmosby.com, like telephone call, C-A-L-L, mosby.com, about deck denial, thinking your deck is good and it's not. If you recall some years ago, the deck started falling off of the sides of the houses, uh, caused some really uh, big uh, damages and injuries to people. Uh, I want you to really go through, uh, if you have a wood deck, especially elevated above the ground in any distance, anything above three feet, um, you really need to inspect this. And, and anything I, anything outdoors on your house really needs a good look-see at least one uh, time a season. And now's a better time. You know, it'll be at 120 or whatever, 106 when we get there in late July, August, September. So now's the time to check those out. I'll tell you a little bit more about what we look for as we go through decks. Uh, phone lines open, 314-436-7900. We're going to start out the phone lines right now and talk with Michael. Michael, good morning. Welcome to CamWakes, my friend. How can I help, sir? Yeah, uh, we are uh, painting our concrete uh, pool deck. So there's a pool, and we've got two different color cement uh, because, you know, some was old and cracking, and so we had that replaced. So we want to paint it probably a medium gray. Uh, I picked up some Dutch Boy cement paint and uh, read some reviews online, which were not good, uh, which concerns me because, you know, it's going to take some time and cost some money to do that. Do you recommend a specific product or should I just try with the Dutch Boy this year and see what happens? Uh, I recommend not painting your concrete outside in the Midwest. Okay. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Because even the pros, uh, the pros do something called pellet blast, which is pretty much the little pellets in like shotgun shells. So they're steel balls like BBs that are shot down at a high uh, pressure, and they literally abrade off all of the paint and the top surface of the concrete. So when a coating gets applied, it literally soaks deep into that raw concrete, and then they put you know successive co- coats on there to kind of build it up with a high solid so it kind of smooths out that surface that's a big deal so like any other good painting or coating job you know three quarters of the project time goes in preparing one quarter into applying the product so that's the deal if you're a new and old concrete and you're uh, old concrete that's been painted then michael you're just going to paint the paint 
and however well that old coating sticks or doesn't to the concrete, you're there. Now, I, I did have this conversation last week with a lady that said, but, you know, it was in a basement. She said, but it's so ugly. I have nothing to lose. If I, if I paint it and it's ugly, I, I'm at the same place. If I don't paint it, it's ugly. So my point is that to properly do this, Michael, you need to go all in. Um, and generally, um, it, yeah, all in means uh, professional help on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Keep okay, asking some questions. Much. I didn't mean to blow you off. I just want to let you know what you're playing no, with. No, no, you didn't. I appreciate the information. Yeah, you'd have some serious time in that. You would, you know, it blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, and and frankly, at best, and especially retail uh, available products are really not the ones that perform best. I mean, you're you're talking about painting you know what's properly done is this is the same stuff that gets painted inside the Ameren uh, Union Electric uh, nuclear reactor that's the quality paint that it takes to take to put up with the outdoor you know humidity freeze thaw and all that in St. Louis okay uh, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Michael. I feel like I just sucked all the air out of the balloon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Take all care. right, sir. Take care. Bye now. Home improvement. I'm trying to save you a little anguish, too, because I've made all these mistakes. I've applied a good bit of these coatings, and I promise you, even the pros, I mean, and, and these are the coatings that are in all of these very large uh, warehouses, super flat, because when you've got uh, tow motors, pallet racks, you know, and, and lift motors that are lifting pallet jacks up to 40 feet high, you know, a, you know, a little bit of an un- uneven floor means that pallet way up in the air that that you know person is stocking or unstocking you know that thing's way off kilter so super flat and then super raw and then highly highly coated and sealed um, uh, floors because spills do occur you can't really ha- you know avoid that that's human but you know what it takes is then it's an easy cleanup for whatever you do you remember the old you know garage base you go to the gas station and the maintenance the oil change and take a look at their floors that's what i'm talking about and uh they're just easier to clean up 314-436-7900-800-925-1120 scott mosby here at your service let's try out uh video hey video scott mosby here how can i help um, I want to know how deep uh, the concrete is where the, the posts are inserted for the deck. Uh, they're because supposed to be erosion, and I'm just worried about them. Uh, video, uh, 30 inches or two and a half feet. So um, it's pretty deep, and that's from the top surface of the soil. Uh, truth be told, if you're the, the, the proper post concrete sticks up six to eight inches above the ground and has 30 inches under the ground okay and the second question i have is we have beam in the uh, house at the center there is a cathedral ceiling and there is a gap between the dry uh, the ceiling and the beam it's about i would say like uh half inch okay how old is the house 30 30 years Okay, that could be uh, simple things. Uh, it, there's usually a trim that goes up there. Drywall moves all that structure in the roof system as well as the drywall tend to move around with age and time just like the human body does. So we kind of get a wrinkle here and, you know, this foot gets a little shorter than that one and on and on and on. Yeah. So, so how do we, uh, can that be fixed or because we get stink bugs in winter? 
<laughs> well, that's a big deal. That uh, Sealing that up is very important. So I would actually put a trim up in there, but I would caulk it uh, and try it. I'd put a sample piece in there, just something to close it up and see, because it, the, ho- the house will move from the hot, humid summer to the cold winter, too. So normal movement. Uh, anyway, I would get a trim piece, you know, that's three-quarters of an inch by an inch, something attractive that goes with that beam, and okay. then I'd have that installed up at the top, and then I'd actually caulk that in. Is the beam uh, stained or is it paint painted, Vidya? Uh, it's stained. Okay, well, then this would be a stained trim. That trim would properly be uh, part of the beam color and not necessarily yeah. the drywall. Okay, and so, can I have just a short question? Sure. I need a seal around the uh, cord where, uh, from the air conditioner where it goes into the house because yeah. we keep on getting mice. <laughs> and I yeah, think yeah. I'm there. Yeah. So is the foam, does the foam work well? Yes, uh, I like the foam on the first, but leave it a little bit short so it doesn't come all the way out. And then a day later, put a, a caulk on it, just a, an acrylic latex uh, caulk in a caulking okay. gun and caulking tune. Pretty low tech. What you're really fighting is just the air movement, but really the bugs and the critters, just like you're talking about now. So, Okay, thank you so much. Okay, video. thanks for the call. Bye-bye. Bye now. Uh, again, post footings, two and a half feet, 30 inches deep, and that is calculated by where we are according to the winter and the frost depth or frost penetration. So when we get a really, really cold winter, that soil freezes from the top down, and 30 inches is known to be well below that. So our building code in this part of the country, uh, bearing soil, you'd have to go, you have to have good bearing soil, so good quality stuff anyway, and it has to be two and a half feet deep. Uh, and those beam trims around there, you know, very common, uh, whole, especially with a 30-year-old home, uh, striking things like beams on, on vaulted ceilings. Wow. I mean, those feel good. But they're complex when they're built. Sometimes they're not always sealed up quite the way we want. 30 years ago, we weren't quite as thorough with sealing the air from the attic away from that inside the home and then you get shrinkage and all that with the beams and the you know flexing drywall and roof structure so it just close it up with a trim caulk it do the best you can to match that color stain it to match the beam and on we go 314-436-7900-800-925-1120 uh let's see what's cooking with mick hey mick good morning welcome to camel x how can i help how are you today sir Great, sir. How are you this fine Saturday? I am fantastic. Love this show. Love the show. Um, Real quick, I poured a bunch of super flat floors. I'm a concrete guy. Know about FF numbers, FL numbers. Wow. Concrete. I know concrete. Fun stuff, isn't it? You're you're playing with the big boys. Well, I am now a sales estimator for a residential concrete contractor. Okay. We sell a bunch of concrete under decks. Yeah. I am of the opinion that those piers should be above concrete, four inches. Amen. Is that code, is that correct? Is there Mick, one better than the other? Number one, Mick, your common sense tells you some pretty good stuff. Number two, the building code requires that any footing, a concrete foundation, a pier for a deck, uh, anything that you and I are 
planning to put something heavy on needs to be exposed six to eight inches above grade so you and I uh, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith can see whether termite tunnels are on it, whether it's rotted, you know, that what you can't see, you can't check. So the whole building code is laid out six to eight inches of visible concrete structure above whatever that surface. So for you, it's above that uh, concrete uh, patio and it should stick up so that your patio as you well know slides up and down with the freeze and the thaw it doesn't it's not all one piece so that's what separates you know the big boys from the little boys on how that concrete's poured but you don't you don't bet you six to eight inches above uh, and not connected to your concrete slab you'd be surprised how many deck guys ask how high do we want those posts <laughs> and i'm like you're the deck guy i don't know Oh, I get you. And they're the carpenters and the structure guys. I hear uh, it's and frankly, if you do the six or eight inches, you're going to get chewed out for ugly concrete. If you put it down on the patio where it's really pretty, how do you know when your deck is failing? How do you know when the bottom of that wood post is being chewed up, eaten up or rotted away? So, yeah, your instincts right on, Mick. Thanks. I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, sir. Good question. Thank you very much. That is, uh, you, th- that's rule number two on deck reviews. Rule number one is make sure that rascal doesn't fall off your house. Literally, the ledger or the board that bolts throughs and connects to the house and is held up by the foundation of the house. That's the ledger connection that has to be gospel good, no exceptions. That thing has to be well connected and has to be flashed so that the water can't get between that board and your house. Number one, rust the connectors deck falls off the house number two rots the wood that's part of the floor structure on the house and then the connectors don't hold anyway deck falls off the house or three you wind up with a mush in there where the the siding is actually underneath where the deck just gets nailed on on top of the siding well then the siding gets mushy so now you've got these wobbly flopping connectors deck falls off the house you know so there's it's just a big deal there's just a lot of ways uh, building uh, wood decks are often a do-it-yourself project. No problem with that. I'm good with that. Just do it right. Just do it right. So that's what this is about. I'll get into that a little bit more. I'll try and stay off my, you know, holier-than-thou uh, soapbox. But you start dropping decks off of houses, I get pretty animated. 314-436-7900. Yeah. Hot one here in St. Louis today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, home improvement, Scott Mosby. Likewise, we were talking about uh, decks, uh, footings coming out of the ground, how far that structure should be visible. And frankly, the building code is kind of commonsensical. For example, you don't need to know anything about construction to walk out and look at the posts at the bottom of your deck. If that wood goes down into the dirt, and you can't see what's holding it up or the connection or whether it's being rotted or termite infested or whatever, that's a cause for concern. So the building code says, hey, you know, why don't you let the the residents review this? You know, all they, they know good wood and not wood. They know when something's not quite right, but they don't have to know how to build a deck just to review and make sure 
Is everything okay? You bet it is. So that's what's behind that and the ledger. Likewise, front porches. Front porches uh, as we gather uh, and this whole social distancing, front porches are being built left and right, lickety split, because like 80 years ago before we all had air conditioning and we all sat out on the front porch or the breezeway or the back porch, we're coming out again. Because of social distancing, you can connect with the neighbors as they walk by, as we walk by and say, hey, wave and all that stuff. Front porch and entries are just uh, all over uh, hot. So anyway, my point being is those boards that hold a front porch onto the house and those of you that have seen parts of those that front porch tipping away and those uh, wood gaps like we had uh, talking to Vidya just a few minutes ago, um, those boards are supposed to be right tight up against the house and oftentimes it's that same connection that causes problems front porches fall off of homes just like decks fall off the back and the sides of homes so be aware of that 314-436-7900-800-925-1120 let's fire up get bosco going and uh speak next with kim kim good morning how can i help you there yes thank you for taking my call yeah we have a hot tub room that's yeah. connected that's connected to uh, the bathroom. There's French doors go out to it. It's uh-huh. mostly glass enclosed. Okay. And uh, at the center, it's 12-foot cathedral. And, of course, we have a moisture problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's The hot tub is sunken into the floor mm-hmm. and extends into the basement, so you can walk directly into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ventilation, there is an exhaust fan that, It really pulls it out. Uh, There's an overhead ceiling fan that hangs down. I had, when we had the new roof put on, I had the skylights removed because I thought they were the issue because there there were uh, moisture, I mean, just, you know, streaks in the paint coming down the pitch of the uh, cathedral and down the walls. Right. Um, Now, we are guilty of not using the exhaust fan. We turn on the circular fan after getting out of the hot tub. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but we have two registers in there. Mm-hmm. We have a cold air return in there. And my actual question is to minimize the moisture. Uh, and there, there aren't... Uh, the roof is like nothing, you know, it's no insulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So is it better for us to go ahead and leave those registers open to keep it more the temperature of the house or is it better to leave them closed and the French doors closed and let it kind of keep its temperature in there. Okay, do you have paper and a pencil? This is going to go on for a while. Oh, I know it all needs to be rebuilt. I no, know no, that it's... we need to use the ventilation. <laughs> no, there's just a lot of pieces. They're, none of them are really high tech or what. So, so it, it, don't don't fear this. But um, uh, you, I'm going to start rifling things off to you. Uh, number one question for you: Do you cover your hot tub when you're not using it? Yes, it is covered, and about uh, it's uh, foam, about four to five inch insulated. 
that's very, very important uh, to keep the humidity from getting into the air of that three-season room, number one. Uh, number two, it should be its own environment. So uh, that glass room gains heat and loses heat about five times faster than the re- the rest of the house because the, those walls and ceilings are all insulated nicely. They have good return air and, and circulation on the furnace and air conditioning. You, unless, you just can't use the same system for that unless it's engineered in when the house was built. So an add-on hot tub glass room like that really is by definition and should be by maintaining, you know, humidity, heat and cooling its own thing because it's always hotter or colder than the rest of the house. So you really need your own unit. Uh, the real answer here is you'll never get rid of the humidity if you did not have a hot tub in that room. Today, with the humidity and the heat, that room would be insufferably wet. So just the environment of the Midwest is high humidity. Um, We invented the word close. (laughs) So with, with or without your hot tub, you would have this in that glass room. So I would advise continuously run a dehumidifier, maybe two. Put that ceiling fan on to move the air around so you're taking that wet air. And it's just a three season room. So you're getting moisture and air leaks inside that room with humidity. regardless of your hot tub, so you'd have this problem either way. But make sure you're drying out that air. As far as the return and the supplies, uh, that's kind of window dressing. It's, it's, you know, kind of like running one cylinder on your, you know, eight-cylinder car engine. It's just not going to do it. Um, So treat it to itself and, and, and give it all you need. Yeah, it, well, and I would, so sh- it, would it be better to just leave those registers shut then? And, and that room sits, it was built when the house was built, okay. and it sits on a foundation. There's a, you know, it's in the basement, the hot tub's hanging down through. Yeah. So, so I, I, I know I'm going to have moisture. I'm just trying to minimize it more. Should the ceiling fan like run constantly? Yeah, I would just run that all the time because all it's doing is moving the air slowly around the room and past a dehumidifier or two. So, I mean, and I'm just talking about, you know, go out and buy the biggest capacity dehumidifier you can. It will run almost all the time. I would set it for medium or about 50 percent. It'll run all year long, I promise, and even sometimes in the winter a good bit because of that. Um so, okay, ceiling fan on low, medium, high. Low, low, just easy. Okay, just oh, yeah. Move it around. Just move it around slowly, you know. And, and when you get in there and you're hot and you want to cool off those wet shoulders, just turn up the fan and then that'll cool you off. But all you're doing is making sure that dehumidifier gets a great appetite of nice, moist, warm air that it can pull the air out, the moisture out. And this thing, probably these dehumidifiers need to be a continuous drain. So if you've got a floor drain that you can yeah, drain Yeah, we don't. That two. was my next thing. I'm going to be emptying that son of a gun all the time. Oh, yeah, only about six times a day. 
Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't I, have a life. I can do that. There you go. But to, to give you a sense of how off this is, um, a swimming pool indoor or a hot tub room or even a wine cellar with expensive wine, the heating and cooling price of the system for the house might be 10000 And the heating and cooling system, because of that humidity control for, you know, a valuable wine cellar, hot tub, our swimming pool is about thirty-five thousand, all by just for that room. Just about yeah. just for that room. So you're doing a poor man's version of dehumidifier because you know heat or cool, you still need to get rid of that humidity. Yes, yes, yes. But, I and mean, that's not just running the mill normal, you know, furnace thing. Right. Okay. Now, I, I I figured this is sort of what I would hear. Yeah, but you'll be surprised. I mean, honestly, a couple of $200 dehumidifiers and a slow fan, you'll be surprised how how good you can make this. You can't really heat it or cool it, but you can sure dry that critter out with, you know, a few of those dehumidifiers. Okay, because this gets used every night, so that tops off every night. So. Well, good for you, doggone it. Why, what's the point of having something if you don't use it? Good for you. True, and I can't believe it's lasted this long. It was... <laughs> Well, I can't believe I lasted this long, for heaven's sakes, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> that hot tub's been in there since the house was built. That was like 1980. So. <laughs> wow, wow. That's a nice feature when they work great. I mean, my old bones love those spas. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. Okay, Kim. Good question. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. Thank huh. you. All righty. Bye-bye. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, KMOX. We're going to take a short pause for some important stuff, so stay tuned. We're coming right back. Welcome back to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, can't keep a good man down, so here I am, bobbing up all the time. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's stay with the topics of moisture and go talk with Tom. Hey, Tom, good morning. Welcome to KMOX, my friend. How can I help? Hello, Tom. Speak up a little, uh, a little bit scant there. Can you hear me now? Uh, Barely. Okay, I'm going to turn off my uh, Bluetooth here so I can talk to you on the screen. Great. Thank you. I know it takes a while to hang on there and wait for uh, the response, but we'd appreciate the volume, brother. Yeah. There we go. All all this technology I'm not too uh, familiar with. (laughs) Don't hit the eject button, man. You'll fly right out the roof. (laughs) All right. We're uh, we're putting in a steam shower in our basement in a 1930s brick house in Belleville. Okay. Not the Belleville makes any difference, but I, uh, and I want to vent it out the side of the basement uh, through the brick wall. Right. I've got uh, two by ten construction floor joists, okay. and I need to pass a uh, vent pipe through the two of those. How big a vent pipe? How big a hole can I put in those floor joists without uh, causing any structural issues? Uh, as long as you're lined up right on top of the foundation, that band joist, that 2 by 10 sitting on top of the concrete foundation, and the brick will come down to the same foundation, a 4-inch round hole is plenty good. Um, the, okay. only thing, the only thing I will say is you may do better off with a 5-inch round hole on the inside and 4 inches on the outside because insulating that 
metal ductwork, you're going to have a very high moisture laden warm air going through that wall. And in the wintertime, as soon as that warm air gets cold, it'll turn uh-huh. to water. And that, sometimes that's going to happen two and three inches back inside your house on top of that foundation. So that metal okay. duct insulate that and then once it pokes through the outside of the house make sure you blow it with enough velocity but most good vent fans you know and i'm talking about you know your panasonics and your you know bigger 120 cubic feet per minute fans um those are four inch ducts okay i think you misunderstood my question because i I have brick out there i don't have band joists going out of the house yes you do an issue Yes, you do. Uh, you have, Now, you're going to go through the banjoist wood, and then if it's brick veneer, it's right on. How old's your house, by the way? Uh, 1930. Oh, you told me. That. Yeah, you don't have a banjoist. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's the yeah. same thing. It's my, still the same thing. My so the question is, is, uh, is the floor joist in, from the bathroom, I'm going to have to go through two of those Ooh, before I get to the an open chase. Uh, basically, I've got a forced air fin- furnace that goes out the yeah. same way. Uh, so I know I, I watched them do that. So I know what I got there. Um, but I'm going to go over two bays basically. And, um, I, my floor joists go perpendicular to each other once they, uh, cross a, uh, a steel I-beam. Yeah. So uh, how close those, to the foundation? Yeah. I'm following you. Go ahead. Okay. Two of those floor joists, um, about, uh, let's say five feet. Uh, from a foundation wall to a uh, 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 I-beam yeah. uh, is what the, the two that I'm going to have to cut through. Okay. The closer okay. to the I-beam or the closer to the foundation, preferably the foundation, is the best place to do it. The load pattern, yeah. have you ever seen a bar joist, a steel bar joist, where, you know, the bars come down at a 45-degree line and they, they zigzag up and down? Um, uh-huh. Uh, that's the load pattern. So you want to cut that hole on top of the foundation if you can, and then 90 right out through the side if you can do it. Yeah, yeah. That's And, and the bay that I want to go out uh, of, of the floor joists is uh, within... I've only got 10 seconds here, um, Tom. Sorry. Within within 16 inches of the of the edge of that floor joist. So Yeah. I'm Just as on top of the foundation is better. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to sign off. With, hold line, and we'll talk next hour. Scott Mosby, KMOX. KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. Okay, lunchtime, home improvement. Scott Mosby, this is the Helitech Home Improvement Show. Lots of things happening, and indeed, it's a hot one. Uh, here's the forecast. Intermittent periods of lightness followed by darkness. No? No? Okay, hot, hot. Open your window. It's hot. There you go. 314-436-7900. If you want some more wisdom akin to that, you can call here on KMOX, 314-436-7900, The apparent, the obvious is sometimes not so hard to see. Some of the questions we've had during the first hour were pretty deep concepts. I mean, really, I enjoyed answering these questions, and I enjoyed talking to the listeners. We have very intelligent listeners. As you well know, I believe that the KMOX listeners are the smartest radio listeners in the world. I truly believe that. 
that because, you know, man, if you're listening to this, you're into, you know, mental gymnastic to some extent. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. Hour two here. I've been around for a couple of decades here on CAMWEX. I enjoy it. I just can't help myself. Uh, I'm part of a company, Mosby Building Arts, founded by my father uh, in 1947. I am surrounded by a bunch of people that love figuring stuff out just like this. Uh, So we, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Uh, We kind of have a good time sometimes. And uh, I call it a family business because we are most definitely a family. Families argue you ought to see something around moisture or flashing or deck ledgers and all this. And you ought to see the coffee cups come out, sit down and go at it. You talk about challenging each other's point of view. And well, what about this? And what about that product? Well, this product says that, but that conflicts with this building code. And this building code conflicts with the fire code. The fire code wants nothing to move in air. And we need to dry everything out by moving air. Oh, off and gone. There we go. It is definitely a family business. We come away with smiles, but we definitely have some heated challenges in that office. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I want to go back. Uh, We had Tom on during the first hour. Uh, He was asking about a steam shower he's putting in his basement, 1930s house in Belleville, which means it's a full masonry there. You know, basically it's, you know, it's, it's a concrete block and then at least one layer of, of red brick, four inches, so it's eight inches thick or 12 inches, whatever, uh, depending on that house. He's trying to vent fan that or vent his steam shower uh, to the exterior, probably with a vent fan. He was trying to cut holes through those two by 10 floor joists. My answer, and to you, Tom, if you're listening, uh, is there is a load pattern. If any of you have seen a steel bar joist, uh, common in commercial structures, you might see them in a Costco, you might see them in a Sam's Club. You might see them in a warehouse, box store, whatever. Sometimes, you know, any structure that doesn't really have a, you know, drop ceiling in it, you'll see these metal zigzags. And sometimes there are wood trusses made this way, and they zigzag back and forth at a 30 or 45 degree angle. So the point being, the load pattern on a floor joist or beam or structure of whatever, uh, it basically travels at a 45 degree angle from the top outside edge. So if your floor joist is sitting on the outside of the foundation and it's 10 inches tall, so it's like nine and a half roughly back in the 30s, you draw a 45 degree angle down from the top of that board to the bottom. And along that line, that's where you do not cut. And then you zigzag your way back up. But long and the short of that, you either need a structural engineer to tell you more than that, or you just drill that hole right on top of that foundation. It'd be kind of a pain. You can get four inches through that, but the reality is the 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 uh, um, if you stay down in the center of that board, that 45-degree angle line, you would draw from the top to the bottom, and it would be, you know, 10, 12 inches, uh, you know, in on the other side. So it's a crush strength on that joist you need anyway it's it's pretty complex question of what you're asking but uh, closer to the structural support underneath it the less important it is and if you cut too much of it out you may need to put a vertical proper a two by four kind of short structural wall on each side of that 
a joist to hold up the uh, download. It's pretty, anyway, long and the short, Tom, if any questions in that, get a hold of a structural engineer and uh, they can tell you it's going to follow this pretty well, but that's kind of the ticket. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. The bathrooms are hot. They're they're literally today, I mean, at 93 degrees, it's really hot. Uh, So the point being that venting a bathroom is very important. Um, Venting a house, a structure, we had a really great question uh, from Kim on a hot tub room built with her house in the 80s and how to dehumidify that and handle all that. And really, it really has to be an environment unto itself. It's like a greenhouse. Um, The greenhouse gains and loses heat at such a rate so much faster than the rest of the house just like that hot tub room that you've got to have its own heating and cooling system and in this case even if you choose not to heat or cool you still have to dehumidify it because uh, it, it literally just the mold and the mildew this time of year you really have to dry it out and probably put some sort of a shade covering over that glass or you know keep it in the shade uh, as far as as far as Tom's steam oven or steam shower in the basement Steam showers are a completely different bird. They need to be incredibly isolated from the outside wall. So you might think you could put ceramic tile right on the concrete foundation, and you can. The problem with it is that's a huge heat sink or thermal mass. So if that tile becomes part of the cement wall, whatever the outdoor temperature of the soil and that concrete is you might condense that steam so if you have a steam generator unit and it it just has trouble generating enough steam despite buying the properly sized unit your walls just aren't isolated away from what's behind them so you need at least a one inch foam sometimes two to isolate which means that the tile inside wall doesn't touch the outside wall this is true upstairs in a main floor unit as well so uh, anyway just keep that in mind you need to insulate and isolate for steam generating units Uh, we have a traffic update from uh, Brian Kelly here in the newsroom at CAMWEX Brian uh, what's the update sir well we might have some people steaming on I-70 right now (laughs) Scott Uh, westbound 70 to 141 there's an accident basically has just a left shoulder open people are just squeezing by between emergency vehicles and the uh, median barrier there so that again is westbound 70 at 141 so if you you can avoid that area, uh, you might want to do so. Okay, thank you. Brian Kelly, the St. Louis and KMOX Newsroom. By the way, folks, isn't it nice to have real news, real time, real news people? <laughs> I can't tell you how rare that is. There are so many uh, radio and TV stations that basically just regenerate the information from others. Uh, Brian Kelly's here at your ready, at your service here on KMOX. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby here for you. Uh, we're going to get uh, Bosco going right up 50,000 watts, generating the power. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, decks, inspecting your deck, a little bit about moisture as we get into uh, close you know the feeling. You're feeling it today. You step outside, and that feeling of that air, wet air, laden with moisture, just sitting next to your skin. A little bit of wind today, so it's a cooling experience sometimes. But that dead air, close, you just steam together. Steam together right there, just like a shrimp in a shrimp boil. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby, your service. Be right back after this for more. 
All right, we are live and lively here. One more hour. Stay tuned. Lots of things happening on KMOX today. A great day on KMOX. Saturdays are always fun. Sundays are sometimes even better. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's see what's happening with my friend Jay. Hey, Jay, good afternoon. Welcome to lunch on KMOX. How can I help? Uh, Thanks for taking my phone call. Uh, My question is, is I want to wrap my cedar deck post in aluminum, mm-hmm. and somebody informed me that that might be a chemical reaction if you wrap it in aluminum, uh, and we actually cause that uh, post to rot out uh, much quicker. Is that true, or I'm not sure? With cedar, it will. Cedar is not a rot-proof um, uh, structure. So wrapping it in aluminum tends to trap the moisture inside. And on a day like today, you know, even if it's not wet from rain, the humidity and the heat will just steam that cedar post to an early death. Um, so, uh, okay. and, and, and the, uh, you kind of mixed up two questions there too, a treated post, which will not have that problem when you put aluminum on a, a rot treated, uh, piece of lumber, which is that green, uh, pressure treated lumber, those That's chemicals, board, will, yeah. yeah, those chemicals will literally eat up the aluminum nails and the aluminum coil stock on the outside because it literally is a caustic chemical trying to kill all the nasties that are going to, you know, uh, promote the rot of that wood but cedar can't be wrapped and str- and you know frankly uh treated lumber needs an isolator uh something uh to cover it or or wrap it in a vinyl but then you have to be careful of your nails too you can the they, they're best they're special fasteners for building treated decks and such and those are the fasteners you would use to cover uh whatever but a vinyl covering you can actually have a, a vinyl material on the outside Vinyl or a plastic, the plastic board, new plastic board out? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But okay. your fasteners now have to be stainless steel or uh, suitable for deck treated on the coating, or else it, they'll just stuff will fall off after about six or seven years. Okay. Sounds great. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, Jay, good question. Thank you. That's a lot of easy ways as we get more high-tech, more products, more innovative manufacturers trying to come up with a new and better mousetrap, and they're doing it. Uh, as they innovate, sometimes it's hard to bring the industry along. So, again, my wife had a question for me that, you know, why do people do that? Well, there is the industry standard, which is basically reading the book and Learning, and these are legal terms and contracts, if you will. But the industry standard um, is what's supposed to be done uh, primarily by the instructions. The standard industry practice is what the what really happens so you know maybe you're supposed to put joist hangers up and use the proper joist hanger nails and do put them on the same but you know if joe and bubba have been doing this for 40 years and they're just not going to change or they don't really get trained to know anything different not because they don't want to be good they just don't know that standard industry practice can cause a lot of these problems and frankly even professionally built decks are falling off of houses so around that standard industry practice in industries where subcontracting is the rule of thumb, uh, basically the training isn't always quite the same as when you have associates on the payroll that you're holding them accountable every day. You have to do your training program to put the right fasteners in and all that sort of stuff. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's talk with my friend Fred. He's been very patient too. Fred, thanks for hanging on. And lunchtime, Camwex, how can I help you, brother? 
<laughs> Hi, Scott. Great talking to you. I love the show. Thank you. Uh, I um, now that it's warmer weather, warmer humid weather, and uh, <laughs> all the all the uh, drywall nails are becoming little temperamental uh, problems right now. So yeah. I've had to deal with them before, and it seems like uh, most of these drywall pops are right at the ceiling line, very close to an adjacent wall. And uh, I've tried pulling the nails, replacing them, and moving them, putting screws in. And, you know, the same thing happens over time. And I read somewhere just those nails that are close, and they're usually within six inches uh, of a wall that it butts up against, um, that just to pull that out and repair it, and I didn't know if that was the proper way to do that. That, that screw's there for a reason, or nail, but uh, I just wanted to make sure. Well, it, that's an interesting question. Um, the drywall is not really part of the structural uh, skin of the house. So uh, the purpose of those nails is to hold the drywall on so it doesn't fall off and hurt somebody. But when you have the structure, the skeleton, the bones, the framing, the wood of the house, and with good old St. Louis, I, I talk about it in the concrete uh, B&W spot, that you know uh, we can get temperatures from 15 degrees below to 120 degrees above. That's a 135-degree delta or thermal swing, and the wood structure in the house really, really moves. I mean, it's like inhaling and filling your chest and stretching your shirt buttons and then exhaling and everything gets nice looking and pressed up again. My point being that what you're seeing is they're saying, well, you're at a stress point. There's actually structural movement in that, which is not bad. It just is. Um, just isolate, in other words, separate that structural frame movement from the pretty skin, the drywall, so you can do exactly what you're talking about. And what they're alluding to is the structural twist point there um, is breaking the drywall, and you've got a live joint, something's moving. And just to bring this forward, uh, roof trusses, are a live member. A 30-foot-long roof truss can get longer by an inch and shorter by an inch, so a two-inch swing between a very cold winter and a very hot, steamy summer. So uh, any wood structure moves or what's called deflection in a loaded beam or floor joist situation. Well, that means a sag. So your house is moving, telling you something. You can indeed pop those nails out and fix them. They'll last longer. You're still going to have a little bit of movement, but probably not from uh, drywall pops. Yeah, the repair is simple. It just almost seems like when you, uh, you know, I just uh, make an assumption that a screw and movement to a different spot would make a difference, but it really hasn't. And for the most part, so I, you know, I know that probably per code, you're supposed to put fasteners every, you know, so far apart, but really? it almost seemed too that where that drywall from the ceiling, if that goes in first and then you put your drywall on the wall and push it up against that ceiling, that that should somewhat hold it a little bit, you know, for that right. screw. But, but I just wanted to make sure that, pulling that screw or nail wouldn't cause any other problems down the road. Not usually. If you run eight feet of them and pull them out, and you're going to have some issues. You start tearing some 
uh, corner drywall tape. But even to the point of truss lift, when the temperature gets this hot and humid, uh, sometimes, and in the wintertime, truss will, uh, uh, a roof truss, the triangular thing up in the attic, literally will lift the ceiling up off the house. So I oftentimes get questions on this Camwax Home Improvement Show of my wall is settling. And in reality, with a few questions, what I'm discovering is truss lift. And basically, the answer for that uh, is the same thing here, Fred, is, you know, separate that drywall from that ceiling trying to go up into heaven and and you won't tear things up quite so much that's amazing yeah and that, well, I mean, that, yeah and and it's uh it's a simple cure but it's just uh you know a simple fix and uh it's just uh wanting to make sure because sometimes when you do a little research online you've got uh there's a few disasters on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you did the right thing by trying to fasten it the way, you know, so always go to step number one before you go to two or three. So I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable giving this answer because you've tried fastening it. You told me a lot of things about how it's moving. So, yeah, you know, a few fasteners here and there. Don't worry about it. All right. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Fred, great question, sir. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. All Bye. Right. Bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX, having more fun than I really should, you know? Uh, life's good. You know, I'm alive, I'm healthy, I'm, you know, active. Things, for the most part, work, you know, most part. Hey, quiet, quiet. No, the people that know me know the things that don't work, like, you know, one leg moving a little slower than the other. One part of my brain a little slower than the, well, that's different. Well, neither here, there. 314-436-7900-800-925. Now I have Cole Duggar, my producer, back in the studio here, and he's just kind of keeping me straight there. You know, winks at me every now and again when I'm getting too long. There we go. There's that. Oh, man, I got a double blank. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Get back to the phones. We come right back. Scott Mosby taking a short pause. We'll be back. All right, back together, home improvement, lots of things. We had a couple of callers uh, call and ask about, tis the season, carpenter bees, carpenter bees. Have you ever seen on a, you walk around the outside of the house and you see this almost perfect, looks like somebody took a drill bit about half inch in diameter and just drilled straight into your, usually cedar, uh, sometimes trim wood on the house, and they're making a home. So carpenter bees are, you know, they're big. They look like great big bumblebees. They won't really sting you or I unless you really mess with them. You have to really make them mad, and then they will defend. But generally, they just bore in, and they lay their eggs, and it's kind of like a mud dauber, only instead of putting mud on the outside of that board, they drill a hole with them. You know, that I guess they have little jaws that eat the wood, and out it comes. You'll find a little bit of sawdust down on the ground, perfect half-inch hole. Uh, at what point is that a structural problem? Generally, you have to have a lot, a lot, a lot of years of uh, carpenter bee activity before you have a problem. There's no real high-tech, I mean, spraying. It's really hard to stop, but it is worth the effort because if you leave them alone, they will come back to that hole and their offspring will come back the next year and drill another hole and another hole. So the point is, is if you're looking at eight or ten of those holes in a very small area, it's time to get somebody to structurally come in and take a look at that. Um, and likewise, but if you have one, two, or three holes and they're spread out pretty much, they aren't really, it's 
not like a termite that goes in and keeps eating and it eats the rest of the house. You know, they're just going in a little distance, uh, laying their eggs, and off they fly. So uh, think of it kind of like a mud dauber wasp that would do that. They just do it, you know, eggs hatch, and out they come. And So uh, carpenter bees are not usually a problem. Uh, let's go see what's happening with my friend Steve. Hey, Steve, good afternoon. Welcome to Camo X. How can I help you, my friend? Uh, yeah, so uh, lots of Steve's maybe. Uh, so I'm yeah. I'm trying to replace an external faucet. Okay. Um, and it connects to three quarter inch pipe. Uh-huh. And when I go to big box stores, I cannot find a three quarter inch uh, silcock to replace with. Right. Uh, it looks like I have to go to half inch. Uh-huh. I was hoping to do a solderless solution, you know, with shark bite or something like that. But yep. my question for you would be, if I've got three quarter inch on the inside. And I've got to replace that silcock with some with half inch. What's the yeah. best way to do that? Uh, a reducer at the uh, hardware store. There's a three quarter to half inch reducer, and it's just a bell reducer. It just reduces down so it slips on the three quarter in the inside. It is a solder connection. The shark bite. Um, that's a retail. The no pros use that stuff. Um, just be aware that that is for retail only because it dodges the problem of having to solder. But likewise, I, I would not leave town for a season or a vacation um, and and be not worried about that. So I, 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 I'm not a fan of that stuff. Uh, we use Shockbite professionally when we're remodeling a house and we cut a pipe and we want to seal it over the weekend. You know, that's what we'll come back on Monday. We'll take the shark bite off, go back and solder everything up. All right. So the problem, my challenge is that three-quarter inch pipe is running right next to electrical wiring. Yeah. So trying to solder in a reducer of some kind, I mean, can I use a compression fitting? Is there something? Well, I'll tell you what, the way. involve heat? (laughs) Steve, can you uh, cut that three-quarter inch pipe back five feet more? Because you don't have uh, to solder it there. You you know, I mean, four more dollars yeah. of copper gets you out of the wire sometimes. Yeah, well, the, my, my problem, I mean, yes, I could. Uh, I've got a solid basement ceiling, so I'm having uh, to cut holes in the drywall to get to where I'm working. Yeah. Um, but if I have to, that's what i got to do. I, personally, I would do it that way. I would solder it, and I'd leave those holes open, you know, for a few months to make sure I got it just right. Uh, and when you do that soldering, when you solder your half inch to the end of that, are you going to use an, an antifreeze faucet, you know, it's 12 inches long or something like that? Yes. Yes. Okay, unscrew all of that out of there. So when you solder that, you unscrew the nut on the out by the handle where you turn it on for the spigot. Unscrew that packing nut and slide all of those guts out of the inside so all you have is a piece of copper and brass that you can get real hot. Otherwise, you'll just cook up all that rubber inside that makes all the seal and you'll fry up your new faucet. So, so I mean, several of the faucets that I see at the stores, they're threaded, right? So I yeah. would... And you can I mean, do that I, as could well. Could I not put like a three-quarter inch to half-inch FPT reducer and then yeah. just thread it on instead of soldering it? Yes, if you're smart enough to know when to quit turn that thing. You know, you have somebody on the inside with a pipe wrench holding that pipe from twisting. You can indeed do that with a Teflon tape or a pipe dope, which is a Teflon, you know, um, uh, sealer compound for around, around the thread. So, yes, you can do a threaded connection there. Okay. So quite, the, quite reliably. Yeah, so all the stuff I've read about Sharkbite and other brands, those things are not things you would trust for a long period of time. 
No, and the places that you're reading are all retail-based. They're not, uh, you know, a good plumber that's been doing this, you know, they they can solder it and trust it. Uh, SharkBite may be approved. Again, the industry standard and the standard industry practice, uh, I always look at the pros at who's putting down what kind of floor, who's putting down what kind of pipe, who's putting in what kind of wire. And, you know, when you're accountable to the callback warranty reputation, you're not going to cut corners so again uh because of so many of us doing all this do-it-yourself work they can sell a lot of shark bite and if it fails they can pay a lot of claims and still be ahead so be careful okay we'll do thank okay. you very much yeah good all question right. thanks for staking, sticking in on the fr- threaded too yep okay have a good day by now. And and for those of you, we are in June, and Steve may have a spigot or a silcock, you know, the hose bib on the outside of the house. And what happens is sometimes they tend to, you know, the the O-rings and the gaskets, the rubber washers in there kind of wear out. They have about a 20, 25-year life. And likewise, if you leave the hose hooked up to that rascal, um, over the winter and it freezes, what happens is that water gets turned off 12 inches inside the house and it allows with when you have no hose connected that water drains out of that long 12 inch pipe so there's just no water inside there to freeze until you get way inside the house. If you leave a hose hooked up, that water charge stays inside that 12 inch faucet body, splits that faucet body and the house doesn't leak until you turn the faucet back on. So that, you know, Steve could be facing that as well. Or he's just good and doing good old-fashioned, uh, you know, maintenance and preventive maintenance and just updating things. So keep in mind, uh, you know, that's an important thing. Uh, let's go talk to Ruby here. Hey, Ruby, Scott Mosby, KMOX, how can I help you, friend? Good afternoon, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I have a screened-in porch mm-hmm. that was poured in two sections, a concrete had years ago. I uh, also have a huge sweet gum tr- tree about oh, 12 feet out in the yard. Oh, boy. Now, the root is growing under the sections and it's causing it to raise up. Yeah. Is there an easy fix or what can I do to, do to alleviate this? There's no shortcut. That tree has to come out and that slab has to come out. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah, I, I've been involved, actually, to give you an idea, in uh, a, quite a majestic home in uh, a notable area. A tree outside, seven feet outside the house, the tree root grew under the sidewalk between the brick and the top of the concrete inside a large family room that was concrete on grade lifted up the family room floor that had wood on top of it and this was from a tree 30 feet away and it was not a sweet gum tree it was just uh, like an oak it was something very unusual so trees uh, they know where the water is they know where moisture stays and the temperature stays nice they'll go after it so that tree has to come out my word, I was hoping you would tell me that I could just maybe take a concrete saw and saw on both sides of that and dig out the root and report. Uh, yes, you can, and Mother Nature will come right back. Uh-oh. Well, thank yeah. you. It's not an easy fix, but I appreciate what you're telling me. 
Yeah, those sweet gum trees are very shallow rooted, so most all of the roots in a sweet gum are 18 inches and higher, and that's why those roots stick up above the soil. So you're playing with the wrong species of tree to try and you know deal with concrete. You know that's so Ruby, you're you're just there's just no easy way. And, oh, oh, I hate to lose the tree, but also I don't want somebody tripping. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And you can replace that tree. Just replace it with a deep taproot, a different type of tree. Have that conversation with your nurserymen, and you'll find out there are other better choices. Okay. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. Take a short pause. Come right back. All right, back together talking about all sorts of things. We've had some great two hours of questions and answers wrapping up hour number two. Uh, one of the questions uh, from a, a, one of the callers was, at what point do you demolish the house versus fixing it up? Uh, that is something at Mosby Building Arts, we face that all the time. And it gets to do with what is the market value of the house. It's very common for people to over-improve. I've done that myself. Uh, I, I live where I want to live and I've improved the house to the point that I want it to be uh, so for people in the neighborhoods that love the neighbor love the church the worship facilities then the grocery store you know the culture around that area it's very common on those neighborhoods to over improve houses the issue then is when it's so rotted or poorly built that um, fixing it costs way more than the market rate uh, oftentimes we face and we have that conversation very often with our clients at Mosby Building Arts uh, you know we're facing you know sometimes on a house that might have a market value of 350 to $400,000 people are putting two and 300,000 if they're just down the street from grandma grandpa or the grandchild you know that's a different issue and that gets done all the time but if you're buying a house and fixing it up to where you really don't have the big tie in the emotional tie uh, then it's it, and this is all a consumer decision um, because it's it's very common that uh, you know the better neighborhoods get uh, you know really aggressively improved uh, because that's how people want to live um, so anyway the point is that you run the numbers on what the improvement is and then you run the number of what is the after improved value of mortgages so when we have problems it's for example you know you may not be able to get a mortgage the borrower could probably buy the bank has enough wealth to do that but the issue is as a um, um, piece of equity is there enough equity in the home in the market value to cover that loan so again the point being that it's all numbers and there is an emotional change that goes on there but just realize that if you have a lot of repairs and you're not really improving those are really easy to go right to the replacement because the unit cost of a new construction house is really less because you're not paying for people to take out the wall and then put in a new wall or take out the wiring and then put in new wiring. You're pretty much just building new, so the unit cost or cost per square foot for a new structure is quite a bit less than remodeling. However, when you have a great house in a great neighborhood with great neighbors and all that stuff that goes to great schools, you know, it, it becomes a, a really you then are just the a curator of that structure during your time on earth because a lot of those houses will just keep on going you know like they do in europe uh so anyway that's kind of the game uh let's see what's happening here with lana here uh go right to the phone see what's going on hey lana scott mosby here thanks for waiting how are you today 
I'm fine, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, the question I have is I'm trying to find a um, contractor or someone that can do an entire job. I had wind damage to my back of my house. The gutter fell okay. uh, about 10 feet, and uh, the wood behind it is rotted. Yeah. The soffit fell out. The fascia fell off. The downspout fell. Uh, my insurance company came out and gave me an estimate, which is less than my deductible. Right. So it's not going to be covered. But I need to find a carpenter or a car I don't know if I do siding, roofing, a, car a carpenter or what. But the wood needs to be replaced and then a, a new gutter and downspout with soffit and fascia uh, to match the siding. Sure, sure. Uh, that's not an uncommon repair for anybody, frankly. So you're a little bit beyond a handyman, but not much. Uh, you're welcome to call my company, Mosby Building Arts. Uh, we also had a sponsor during the first half of the year, uh, Schleter Painting and Repair, and they they're painters, but they also got into doing those gutter repairs and things like that. So I know Jerry Schleter, Schleter does that pretty well. Um, uh, it's it's not uncommon. You're just uh, uh, you're just looking for a generalist that has their own employees so they can take care of these things themselves and and that's how our company is built as well right i've called a few i've had uh a, an estimate of about 1500 up to 3000 yeah and my insurance company is probably not going to take somebody else's estimate no. uh, so i can't be out that kind of money right. i'm retired living on fixed income um, so I, what is the number of Mosby Building Arts? Uh, we're 314-909-1800, uh -huh. Okay, and I can just explain to whomever answers yeah. what I'm looking for? Yeah, and we've got a handyman. We've got a handyman service that we call Sam, which was my dad's name, and, you know, pretty much we can take care of that pretty quickly. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Handyman service named Sam. Yeah, that was my so dad's guy. Yeah, I think so for that. Yeah. So, okay, so all I need is their phone number and give them a call. Yes, ma'am. Okay, Lana. Thank you so much, Scott. All righty. Bye-bye. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, uh, CAMOX. We've had a great two hours. Stay tuned. Lots of things happening here on University of CAMOX. As always, a great afternoon. Um, but, you know, my gosh, we had some good questions. Uh, and, and thank you. I enjoy being challenged. I enjoy digging back through the cobwebs of my mind and my experience. So thank you so much. This is Scott Mosby, CAMOX, at your service.